Good to have everybody here this morning. Amen. All of our guests, thank you for being with us today. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 30, it is our goal to cover the latter part of chapter 9, chapter 10, and also chapter 11. That's our goal. I, we'll see if we make it that far. Which means I'm not going to be able to read every verse. We're just going to cover it, okay? But God is awesome, and I'm thankful for His Word today. Remember, we studied Paul, the Apostle Paul, last week. Amen. He has been lied on by probably Christian churches and also by Jewish believers at the same time. He's a very, very controversial man. You've got to go right to the Word of God to find out what he was all about amen and that's what we tried to do last week but i'm thankful today for the the word of god amen the bible says us tells us here in verse 30 which when he, the brethren knew they brought him down to caesarea and sent him forth to tarsus he started being persecuting being persecuted by the jewish uh, people of his day and uh, the church didn't understand his purpose or who he was so then the church, and I, and I say the church, I'm talking about the believers, not the headship. The headship of the church understood his call. And they have to get him out of town. They send him to Tarsus. He goes there for 14 years. Galatians tells us in chapter 2, 14 years. And God had told him that he was going to have a ministry. That he was going to be preaching to kings and to Gentiles and also to the Jews. 14 years though, he puts that on the shelf. <coughs> shelf. <laughs> Texan, aren't I? Puts that on the shelf. You know, and we'll see that as we get to the latter part of chapter 10. 14 years later, Barnabas goes and gets him. But if anybody ever prophesies over to you, what do you do with that prophecy? Put it on the shelf. I'm going to tell you why. Because if you don't, you will go out trying to fulfill it yourself. And if you go out there trying to self-fulfill a prophecy that's been given to you, you will abort that prophecy. You with me? So what you have to do is you have to wait for God's time. The prophecy comes, but He will open up the opportunity. Remember we talked about that? That opportunity and His call will collide. But if you're out there trying to bring to pass the Word of God to you, you will abort that prophecy, I guarantee you. So Paul has a prophecy over him about his ministry. But he goes to Tarsus there. And he's there for 14 years before he's ever sent by God to fulfill that prophecy. Please don't forget that. A lot of times people get prophetic words over them. And immediately they go out and they try to fulfill it. Amen. Now, I've had words spoken over my life that I would preach to nations. The only nation I've ever, I mean nations, I'm talking about world, going, traveling the world and preaching. The only other place I've ever gone beside the America is Taiwan. But I'm not catching a plane tomorrow. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not, I haven't made a schedule to start flying all over the country and all over the world to preach the Word of God. Because even though that Word has been spoken over me and when, I, when it was spoken, I felt it in the Holy Ghost. I have not tried to self-fulfill that in my life. Because I'll make a mess of myself, make a mess of my family, and make a mess of the call of God on my life. So you've got to put things on the shelf until God collides with the call, the opportunity to bring it to pass. 
Does that help you understand? Amen. I'm telling you, people are messed up today. Because they get a prophetic word over them, and it was a prophetic word over them, but they're out there trying to make it happen. And in trying to make it happen themselves, instead of waiting on God, they abort the call of God in their life. Now, the call's still there, but they mess it up, is my point. So Paul goes on, and he is there for 14 years in Tarsus. Man, kind of wonder, you know, God, what are you doing? Such a great, great man here. You've been training him all of his life. And then you put him on the shelf for 14 years. And the prophecy also on the shelf for 14 years. All right, we go from there, though, and then we go right into Peter. Now, the message today, this morning, my, my passion, my desire, preaching the book of Acts, we're looking at it from the passion of the early church, okay? And my, my drive in the spirit today is to preach to you the passion of the mantle or the passion of the talit. Now, Jesus is the passion of the talit and the passion of the mantle, okay? Now, God really stirred me up in this area, and, and we'll, we'll see this because he gave me revelation that I have never read nor have I never heard about the mantle and the, or the talit in these chapters, okay? So God showed me some things, so we trust God to, to speak to us. But I thank you for standing, but let me read a little bit further, and I'll let you sit down. In verse 31, then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified. They were built up and walking in the fear of the Lord. Say the fear of the Lord. You know, nobody wants to hear the fear of the Lord or the judgment of God. They only want to hear the love of God. But fear produces love. It says they walked in the fear of the Lord. How many of y'all fear the Lord today? And also at the same time in the comfort of the Holy Ghost. And they were multiplied. Came to pass as Peter passed throughout all quarters. He came down also to the saints which dwelt at Lydda. And there, and it, that is very interesting because Lydda means strife. Looked up the word, it means strife. And there in Lydda he found a certain man named Aeneas. Aeneas means laudable or to be lauded. Or it's connected to the word praise. So we've got a man in strife whose name means laudable or praise, the Bible says, which kept his bed, so he's paralyzed. So praise is paralyzed. The Bible said, which had kept his bed eight years. Eight years, it's about time for a new beginning. And he was sick of palsy. And Peter said unto him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. Say, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. Arise and make thy bed. And he arose immediately. And all that dwelt at Lydda and, and Saron saw him and turned to the Lord. Now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha. Say Tabitha. Which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds which she did. Came to pass in those days that she was sick and died. Whom when they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber. <clears throat> Say upper chamber. And for as much as Lydda was nigh to Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent unto him two men, desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber. Say upper chamber. 
Now, remember a prophet in the Old Testament, Elijah, was, had a little chamber, an upper chamber that they, they made for him. This is linked together. And all the widows stood by him weeping and, and showing the coats, say the coats, and the garments. I looked up the word as God began to speak to me about the mantle. I looked up the word garment, and guess what? It means a mantle. So she's involved in making mantles or cloaks. Which Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all forth and kneeled down. Kneeled and literally laid down. Now remember a man in the Old Testament who did the same thing when there was a dead young man. There was a prophet by the name of Elijah who laid on top of that young man. So he kneeled down, literally laid down. And prayed and turning him to the body said, Tabitha. Say with me, Tabitha. That is very close to a word, Talitha. Talitha. Now, that is awesome to me. One word, one letter difference between Tabitha and Talitha. Arise, and she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, presented her alive. And it was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And it came to pass that, he tarried many days in Joppa with one Simon and a tanner. You may be seated. Read a little bit further while you're seated. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. He's a devout man, one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, that's three o'clock in the afternoon, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. When he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers, thy alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. When the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. And on the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh to the city, Peter went up upon the housetop, say up on the housetop, to pray about the sixth hour, that's twelve o'clock. And he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And saw heaven open and a certain vessel, say vessel, descending unto him as it had been a great sheet, knit at the four corners and let down to the earth. Now God gave me a revelation about that. Wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. There came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What well, God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, was, was lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Rise therefore and get thee down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them.
Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius and said, Behold, I am whom you seek. What is the cause wherefore ye are come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man and one that feareth God, and a good report among all the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by a holy angel to send for thee into this house, and to hear the words, say the words, of thee. Then called he them in and lodged them, and on the morrow Peter went away with them, and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the morrow after they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them, and had called together his kinsmen and near friends. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him up, saying, Stand up, I myself also am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. He said unto them, You know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God hath showed me that I should not call any man common nor unclean. Therefore came I unto thee without gainsaying as soon as I was sent. For I ask therefore for what intent you have sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting unto this hour, and at the ninth hour... I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard, thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa, and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter, who lodged in the house of one Simon at Tanner by the seaside, who when he cometh shall speak unto thee. Immediately therefore I sent to thee, and thou hast well done, that thou art come. Now therefore are we all here present before God, to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. Isn't that interesting? Then Peter opened his mouth and said of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, or he is God. That word I say ye know, which was published throughout all Judea, and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. Who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. Whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly. Now to all the people... But unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us, who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision, that would be Israel, which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? He commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. And the apostles, of course, in Judea 
find out what Peter has done, they question him about what he's done. Now go with me to Mark 5. Sunday night, last Sunday night, I preached on the names of God, El Elyon, the Most High God, and uh, Yahweh, also Elohim, the creation, the God of creation. You'll remember that, right? And the Lord impressed us to take this talit, or this mantle now, and just lift it up like a canopy over the people, and they were to stand there, and we were to carry this canopy over the top of the heads of the people. You remember that? When I preached that about the Gadarean man that was delivered by the son of Elion, the Most High God, Jesus, the devil's being cast out. And the Lord told me to put that talit or that mantle over the top of your heads. I did not remember that in that chapter there were two miracles connected with the talit. I did not remember that. But see, the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God was in charge of that service. And after we preached the message about the man with the spirits being in need of deliverance and then being delivered, then God told us to use that talit. Now, God is awesome. That, he's awesome. But one verse I want to show you in, in Mark 5, in verse 41. Remember the little girl that was sick? You Remember? And then she died. The Bible said in verse 41, He took the damsel by the hand and said, to her, said unto her, Talita, Talita, Kumi, Talita, Kumi. Say with me, Talita, Kumi. Which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, arise. Now that's the interpretation, but it's wrong. Because I looked it up. I, now, let me give you some background here. I'm not going to preach to you the, the message of the Talit, the whole message. There is a, a group of people, the, the Biblical Institute of Studies, of Judaic Studies and Christian Studies, that spent seven months in Israel studying just the Talit. Seven months. Okay? So it's a very vast subject. But particularly, this particular group of people discovered in this particular verse, Talita Kumi, they said this, that... The interpretation, damsel, I say unto thee, arise, damsel is not talita. And so I looked this up in my computer to see if that were true. And where it talks about this, uh, it goes on and it says, straightway the damsel arose. The word damsel there that's used in verse 42 is not the same word as talita. It's not. I looked it up. Now what is Jesus doing here? Well, what he's literally saying is talita Kumi means she that's in the talit, rise up. So what Jesus did was he wrapped this young girl in the talit and he literally, he bound her hands with the talit. She that's in the talit, arise. Now the woman with the issue of blood just before this occurrence reached out to touch the hem of his garment. Now, we think in American terms when we talk about the hem of the garment. The hem of the garment that she <coughs> touched is not the hem of the dress, you know, or the hem of my garment like this down here, this part. It has to do with this talit. 
Okay. When she touched the hem of his garment, Brother Daniel, Brother Mark, hold this out, please, for me. On the corners of this talit, four corners, don't, hold it, don't put it on the floor, please. Yeah, thank you. <clears throat> this, in the four corners, had these fringes right here. And they're knotted with certain knots. A total of 612 knots. If you add this to it, it's 613. This blue ribbon here. Okay, you with me here? When she reached up and touched the hem of his garment, she grabbed a hold of the fringe. She grabbed a hold of that right there. Okay? So that was the woman before this young, young girl is raised from the dead. She had this issue of blood for 12 years. Grabs hold of the hem of the garment. And when she does virtue, leaves him. You with me here? Now Jesus, because this woman has touched him. If an un this woman is unclean by nature of this blood flow. She's unclean. When she touches him, he becomes unclean. If he's not greater than the uncleanness. But because he's greater than the uncleanness, then he's not unclean. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because the garment was greater than her uncleanness, the garment was not unclean. But I'm trying to show you something that the garment only speaks of him. Because he's greater than the uncleanness of this woman. He can therefore go on and raise this young girl from the dead. In the Old Testament law, if you touched an unclean person and this one was unclean by reason of her sickness, the priest, you would become unclean. If the priest ministered to that woman, touched that woman, he would be unclean and he would have to set himself apart, aside for a period of time until the evening, I believe it was. So there's a period of time which that priest could no longer minister to somebody because he's touched an unclean woman. Are you here? Now, Jesus, when this woman reaches up and touches the hem of his garment, if he follows the pattern of the Old Testament, he would have to set himself aside for a period of time. But he goes on and he heals a little girl just in the same time frame. Without setting himself aside. Because he is greater than the uncleanness. Not just the garment is greater than the uncleanness. But he is greater than the uncleanness. When Jesus ministered to people who had uh, diseases in their body. For example, leprosy. He could minister healing them. He could touch them. Now, if you touch them, if you a common person touched them, you would become unclean. But if Jesus touched them, Jesus was greater than the uncleanness. So he could touch, uh, touch the leopard and he could touch uh, this woman here. He's greater than the woman. So he can continue going on and not set himself aside as the law required because he's greater than the uncleanness. He could go on and he could wrap this young girl, 12 years old, in the talit and say, talitha kumi, which means I've, you that are in the talit, uh, she that's in the talit, rise up and stand. Uh, right, ooh, praise God. 
one rabbi said this as they studied this talit in Israel. One rabbi said this about that translation, uh, that word there, talitha kumi. He said it could also mean that by the cleansing of the woman, you with me here? The woman had just been cleansed from the issue of blood when she touched the hem of his garment. One rabbi said that the talitha kumi can mean that this young girl was resurrected because of the cleanness of the woman. Because the woman had been cleansed, it became uh, this young girl's resurrection. Now, what excites me about that is because I know who the woman is and I'm looking at you. Because the woman of the church has been cleansed. Shut up. Everywhere she goes, then she brings forth resurrection power to people's lives so that they can come alive unto God. Now, what you need to understand is that when this young girl is wrapped in the talit, uh, literally they believe that uh, you were bringing somebody into the presence of God. Because it was nothing more to, it was to them a mini tabernacle. And so, hello somebody, when you wrap somebody in a talit, you're wrapping them in the presence of God. Woo. Now, Peter is going to do some very strange things in his ministry. And it's connected. Wonder, the Holy Ghost asked me this question. Where did Peter learn what he learned? Where did he see somebody? Hello somebody. Give God praise. Where did he see somebody put people out of a place and then raise somebody up from the dead? That's exactly what Peter did to Tabitha. Tabitha, one letter difference, Talitha. He put the people out and then he raised her from the dead. And she is a woman who made mantles with her hands. So there's a connection there. So I wonder will Peter saw this take place. He saw Jesus do it in Mark chapter 5. What I'm telling you, what I believe is that Peter when he walked in there to Tabitha or Dorcas he literally wrapped her in uh, the talit. I believe he had a talit on his body and he wrapped her in the talit and then he raised her by the, the, the talit didn't raise her up this didn't raise that young girl up gotta hear me this didn't raise that young girl up the power of God raised her up this was only a symbol uh, of God's power and God's life and God's healing power and shut up God, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. So Peter understood that Jesus was the passion of the talit. And it is Jesus going to raise her from the dead. But he's going to do it just like Jesus did. Because he wants them to understand the passion of the talit was Jesus Christ. Give God praise. Woo. Now go back. Let me show you something before I get too excited here. Go to Numbers 15. Let's talk about this mantle just a little bit. And then I'll get into my text and Acts. In Numbers 15. Ooh, man, I feel the Holy Ghost. Numbers 15. Again, I'm not going to teach you on the tally specifically this morning. Just got to give you a little bit of understanding, okay? Y'all all right? <coughs> okay. 15.37. Numbers 15, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel. When you read your Bible, you need to understand that some things are spoken to us. 
And some things are not spoken to us. This passage was spoken to who? To Israel. Wasn't spoken to the church. But it was spoken for us. You understand? You have to understand what's written for us or spoken for us in order to understand what is written to us. Now, Acts 9 and 10 and 11 is written to us. In order to understand what's written to us, I've got to understand what's written for us. This specific passage is written to Israel. It's not written to the church. But it is written for the church. The tabernacle. God told Moses to build a tabernacle. He spoke to Moses and to Israel to build that tabernacle. But he did not speak to the church to build the tabernacle. But he did speak uh, this tabernacle plan for us. It's about us. It's about Jesus. It's about the church. It's for us. But it wasn't to us. Which means this. I'm not out there building a tabernacle this morning. And I'm not bringing sacrifice this morning. But in order to understand what is written to you, you've got to understand what's written for you. Woo, glory to God. And so the Bible says, and the Lord, verse 37, spake unto Moses. So who's he speaking to? To Moses. Speak unto the children of Israel. Who's he speaking to? Israel, the children of Israel. And bid them that they make them fringes. Say fringes. Or a seat seat to fringes. And we're talking about, where'd my, where'd my garment go? <laughs> Hallelujah. That's all right. We could bring it back out. We talk about the fringes then. We're talking about the edge of the garment there. And on the corners, these fringes that are hanging down. And also this right here, this blue. Got it? Okay, just keep that out, brother, just for a little bit, okay? Thank you. Now, watch this. He said, put fringes on the garment. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Now, why are they going to do this? Well, we're going to find out. Put fringes in the borders of their garments. Or in the hymn. You with me? Throughout their generations. And that they put upon the fringes. Or the fringe of the borders. A ribbon of blue. Let's see the ribbon of blue. There it is right there. And that is the exact color right there. They have recently found it in this century. This particular color that comes out of the shellfish. It was missing for hundreds of years. But now in your time they now have it. This, is the, this, this came from Israel by the way. I didn't do this. This came from Israel. This is the real, real McCoy right here. Or I should say the real seat. Hallelujah. It shall be, and so is that Talit. That came from Israel. All right, here we go. Ready to go? So you got to put a ribbon of blue there. It shall be unto you for a fringe that you may look upon it. Now why? That you may look upon it and do what? Remember all the commandments of the Lord. And do them, and that you seek not after your own hearts and your own eyes, after which you used to go a whoring. That you may remember and do all my commandments and be holy unto the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. So that the purpose of this mantle, this talit, with these fringes on it is this. Number one, that the Lord is the Lord of the heavens, blue. The Lord of the heavens. 
He's the God of the He's God of creation. He's the God of the heavens and the earth. He created the heavens and the earth. Are you with me here? Woo, praise God. He is a liberating God. He's the God that brought them out of Egypt, he says in this passage. He's the God that sets you free. He's the God that liberates you. So he's the God of creation. He's the God of liberation. But because the fringes were tied a certain way, 613 altogether, 613 commands in the Old Testament reminded them of the commands of God. That God is not only creator. He's not only liberator, but he is also a moral God. He's not like the rest of the gods, so-called gods in the world. He is a moral God. He's a God of law. Praise the Lord. And the loops that make up these knots here, right here, these loops equal to, say equal to, the name of God. Now, I don't know how they do it, but they, they know exactly how many times to loop it in between each knot. There's five knots. One, two, three, four, five. And in between each one of them, they know exactly how many times to loop it around before they go to the next knot. Now, hello. <laughs> Say, yote. Yote. Hey. Vav. Hey. The ineffable name of God, sometimes pronounced Yahweh. You with me here? Yote. Hey, Vav, hey. Each letter has a numerical value. Yot, ten. Hey, you with me? Hey, five. Vav, six. Hey, five. So you've got literally the amount of loops in this right here equal to the name of God numerically. But what I found in further study was that some people believe that the, and I don't know exactly how many loops, you know, if it's yod hey vav hey, then it's the numbers I gave you. But other people believe that they were looped differently. They believe that literally in those loops, it's spelt out this. The Lord is one. Now you got to hold on to that because when we get in Acts, Acts 9 and 10, you're going to see what I'm talking about. So God is a God of creation of the heavens and the earth. God is a liberating God. He brought you out of Egypt. God is a moral God. He's a God of commandments. His name is in the Old Testament connected with the law, Yahweh. And connected with Israel, Yahweh. Or yod Hey vav Hey, And He is one God. Give God praise. And so you are to look at that fringe so that you would keep your mind on the Word of God. Keep your mind on God. That you wouldn't be distracted. So that you wouldn't go a-whoring after other gods. That you would recognize that your God is a God of creation of the heavens and the earth. And your God is a God who liberated you from Egypt. And your God is the God. Woo, hallelujah. Is a God, a moral God. And your God is one. And His name is in the Old Testament. yod heh vav Yahweh. Give God praise. Woo. And it's all symbolized in that mantle there. Woo. Praise God. 
And so when they looked at that, and each man had one, and when the priest went into the tabernacle, every man walked out of his tent because you couldn't fit everybody in the tabernacle. So when the priest walked in there, in order for them to be a part of what was going on in the house, then what they would do, they would walk out of their tent, and they would put this on top of their heads like this. So what they're saying is, I just moved into my mini tabernacle. So that what is happening inside of that tabernacle, I am participating in. So I'm covered in the presence of the Lord God Almighty. I'm standing in His presence. Right there with a the priest, I'm standing with Him there. You got it right. So to them it was a miniature tabernacle. And the tabernacle speaks of the habitation of God among men. So I'm standing in his presence. I'm, whoo, hallelujah. You got it, right? You got it with me, right? So he's the God of creation. He's the God of liberation. He's a moral God. He's a God that uh, the Bible says that he's one Lord. His name in the Old Testament was Yahweh with me here in relationship to covenant with Israel. Now watch this. I'm in the presence of God. It was symbolic of something. It was to remind them of the Word of God, that the Word of God came from God. It was to remind them to keep their mind on God and not be distracted into sin. Now I got news for you. When you start living for God... When you have experienced God like some of you have, when you go out in the world, you can no longer enjoy sin. There's a lot of people who come into the church and they get right with God, they get born again, and then they try to go back into the world. There's nobody more miserable in this world than somebody who has experienced God, who tries to go out in the world and play the harlot, and go out there messing with other gods, and, and, and go away from God, and reject God. There's nobody more miserable than that person. Woo. So God said, I give you this garment so that you don't go whoring out there after false gods. I want you to know, friend, I'm thankful for what God has done for me. And I want you to know that if I even try to sin, something happens in me. I, I just become absolutely miserable with this world, the things of this world. Because if you've experienced God, you can't be happy in sin anymore. So God said, take the talita. It's a type of your experience in me. You need to remember me. You'll never be happy whoring after other gods again. Now, having said that, let's go to Acts. Woo. Give God praise, man. I feel the Holy Ghost. You got it, right? Y'all come to have church? Watch this, Acts 9. The Bible tells us now Peter comes on the scene again after Paul. He goes forth into Lydda. He's moving into Palestine territory. He's moving to the coastal regions of that world at that time. He's going out. And the Bible says, here in verse 31, or verse 32, it came to pass as Peter passed through at all quarters. He came down also to the saints which dwelt at Lydda. So now he's founded some church people over there in Lydda in a place called Strife. 
And when, when you have a place called strife, then you're probably going to find a man by the name of Aeneas uh, there somewhere lame, which means laudable or praise is paralyzed. When you got strife in a church, then the praise is going to be paralyzed. We'll give God some praise. And there this man is. For eight years, he's been there on his bed. Now, if you're in your bed, you're not finding any rest. So what the Lord's going to do is say, I'm going to take your bed where you can't find any rest, and I'm going to give you my rest. And so Peter says, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. The way that you're going to be made whole is by his finished work, by his death, his burial, and his resurrection. That's what's going to cause you to get up off of your bed and enter into his rest. There's going to be a new beginning for you. You've been sick like that for eight years, but it's the number eight, so you're fixing to start something all over again and so Peter looks at paralyzed praise and says get up Jesus Christ maketh thee whole and he got up the Bible said and Peter said take up your bed get your mess together pick up your mess put your mess together and the Bible said those round about him came to the Lord you know why because when you got a good testimony it attracts people to you this man has got his mess he picked it up he's walking a new way now he's no longer paralyzed now he can praise now he can worship God Ooh, hallelujah right in the middle of litter right in the middle of strife he's still praising God in this hour, in this day, there is great strife and great conflict in the church of the living God. But when Jesus comes into a church, you know when Jesus shows up because he's praised in that house. When Jesus shows up, there's power in that house. When Jesus shows up, people leave their bed and clean their mess up and People are attracted by the power of God when Jesus shows up. And when he does, I don't care what you're going through. I don't care what the strife is. When Jesus shows up in your life, then he will cause you to stand up. He'll cause you. Just like he told the little girl, Talitha Kumi, rise up you that are in this Talit, rise up and stand up. He said, Jesus, Peter said, you rise up off your bed and you stand up. You start praising him when you are paralyzed in your praise. I want to ask you today, are you paralyzed in your praise? Have you been sleeping in your bed and it's nothing but a mess? You can't move. You can't shake. You can't run. You can't leap. You can't shout anymore. You can't praise God anymore because there's too much conflict around you. But when Jesus shows up in the house, I'm here to tell you when he shows up in the house and he touches you. Praise. Praise is healed by the power of God. And when praise, listen to me, when praise is healed in the house of God, when it's healed in your life, then the next thing begins to take place. People who once were dead become alive under God. <laughs> 
Peter didn't raise up Aeneas. Jesus Christ raised up Aeneas and gave him a new beginning. And souls started coming into the church. And then, whoo, you know what? Some people got uh, some uh, knowledge about what was going on in Lydda. And so they sent for Peter and said, come on down here. We need you to take care of our funeral service for us. Sound like most churches. Won't you come preach in their funeral service? But Peter had something altogether different in mind. He wasn't going there to use it, eulogize Tabitha. He was going there to raise Tabitha from the dead. I don't know about you, but I came to have church. I came to have a move of God inside of me. And I want you to know today, if your praise is paralyzed, then Jesus needs to touch you and heal your praise again. Yeah, I know you've been through a lot of problems and had a lot of conflict, but you need to take up your mess and walk out of this church today, praising and worshiping God again. And I know you feel dead like Tabitha. But I didn't come here to have a funeral service. I didn't come here to officiate your deadness. I came here to tell you that Jesus is in the house. And when Jesus shows up, he has the ability to raise the dead. Which means if you're dead spiritually, he can get you off of your pew and resurrect you with power. Come on down, Peter. W would you attend our funeral service? <laughs> A lot of churches are like that. Come on, preacher. Come on, we invite you to come and speak here. When they get there, all it is is just a bunch of deadness. <laughs> but would be to God that there are preachers like Peter who haven't come to officiate your funeral service, but have come to give you a message that will cause you to raise up out of your deadness by the power of God. Give God praise. There's enough dead churches in the world today, but my Jesus is not dead. If you're dead, you need to get connected to him because my Jesus is not dead. And I feel it. I feel the pressure. I feel the conflict. I feel the strife. I feel it. I know it's there. But I got good news for you today. We don't have to stay dead. We don't have to die. He can resurrect our praise and then resurrect our spirits and give us life. Now watch this. You remember Jesus when he's going to raise up that little girl? And they mock him. But thanks be to God, Jesus didn't care about how they mocked him or what they thought about him or how they laughed him out, laughed at him. You've got to be able to go beyond the mocking, go beyond the laughter. You've got to go beyond what people think and see God. Know what God wants you to do. So anyway, in the midst of the, you know what he does, Jesus does? He just says, get out of here. You get out of here. You're mocking. You don't believe. Just get out of here. So he sent them out. Come on, mom and daddy's still there and the little girl's still there. And he says, 
talita kumi. He says, you who's in the talit, rise up and stand. Because you're in the presence of the true tabernacle. You're in the presence of the true talit. You are in the presence of God himself. I am God. I am the one God of the Bible. I am your liberator from Egypt. I am the one who's a moral God. I am a holy God. I'm standing right here in your presence. So Peter, look at this in 9. Wow. Bible says, and for as much as little as nine at Joppa, his disciples had heard, verse 38, that Peter was there. They sent unto him two men desiring that he would not delay to come to them. Then Peter rose up and went with them. When he was come, they brought him into an upper chamber. Woo, hallelujah. Now this is all, all connected to what happened in the Old Testament. God's good. I understand there are 48 miracles that the prophets did in the Old Testament. And there are 48 miracles of Jesus in the New Testament. So that everything that Jesus did is connected to the Old Testament. And so what his apostles did is connected with what they saw Jesus do. And hence, it's all connected. Old and New Testament are connected together. He is the fulfillment of it. Give God praise in this house. Now watch this. Watch what Peter does. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber. Say upper chamber. Reminds me of Elijah's chamber. And all the widows. Ah, yeah, reminds me of another widow woman connected with Elijah. Shut. I wish you could get this. The Bible says this. He's got these widows. They're standing there and they're weeping. Showing the coats and the garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. Could be that she was literally making these, these talits. You know, Paul was called a tent maker. That doesn't mean he was building tents for Bedouin sheep herders in Corinth. Why would you build tents for people in Corinth when there is no Bedouin sheep herders in Corinth? He was a tent maker. You know what he was? He built the min miniature tent. He built these that's how he provided for himself and those that were with him. He made talits. He didn't. It could be that this Tabitha or Dorcas is also making mantles. One translation is that she was making garments or mantles. I've got the word on my desk. You want it? You can come check me out. Hallelujah. Now watch this. This is awesome. Bible says this. All these women standing around. <laughs> Boo-hoo, 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 boo-hoo. Cry, cry, cry. Man, he got on his nerves. <laughs> Hallelujah. There's some other people that got on Jesus' nerves in Mark 5. He said, you get out of here. Wonder where Peter learned this. We got all these women right here crying and moaning, feeling sorry. You know, it kind of makes you wonder if they were crying for Dorcas or feeling sorry for themselves. I've been around that a little bit. In fact, I've had that try to get a hold of me at times. Feel sorry for myself. So anyway, for whatever reason, you know, they're crying. People cry at church for all kinds of different reasons. 
Some people cry because God's moving on them. Some people cry because they hear the word of God. Some people cry because their dog got killed. Some people cry because they can't pay their bills. Some people cry. They cry for all reasons. Some people cry because they feel sorry for themselves. Don't hit me. Don't stone me. But anyway, they're crying. So Peter says, you can be dismissed from church. What? Church is what I need. We don't need you around this place. Because all you're doing right now is, is, is filling the air with a bunch of unbelief. And the Holy Ghost said to me, where did Peter learn that? He learned it by Jesus in Mark 5. He saw Jesus do that. Hello, somebody. See, what you have to understand, I'm going to just preach. I might I'm, I'm preach three or four hours this morning, so just get ready. Get your juices. You, got, you brought juices or sandwiches, just get ready. Get them out. Go to your car and get them. Because I'm not limiting myself to time today. I'm going to preach. See, what Peter's trying to show you is this. Is that there's an atmosphere that must be created for God to work. And you come here this morning, I come here this morning with doubt, unbelief, feeling sorry for myself. And you know what happens? The atmosphere is filled with that stink. But you come in here with faith and having prayed. And you walk in here with power and believe. Then what happens? You fill the atmosphere, every molecule, with praise and worship and faith and believe. You see, it's hard, you know, how can space be inhabited by two objects at the same time? Space is even, listen to me right now. Your space is full of unbelief and feeling sorry for yourself and all kinds of doubt right now. Or your space is filled with power and glory and praise and faith. You affect the atmosphere wherever you go. When you walk into the house of an unbeliever and you're a believer, you are affecting the atmosphere that's there. Those spirits recognize a man of God just walked in the house. Those spirits recognize a woman. You don't have to walk up and tell anybody I'm a prophet. You don't have to tell anybody if you are a prophet, somebody in the house is going to know you're a prophet. They can discern that spirit you've got. If, whew, but on the other hand, if you're a fake and you're a phony, you don't have to tell anybody you're a fake and a phony. It's picked up just like that because you're creating an atmosphere. If you got perfume, take it out right now and squirt a little bit of it in the air. You know why you do that? One little squirt of perfume completely changes the atmosphere. You came in here with an atmosphere around you. If you could praise God right now to change your atmosphere. So Peter understands that certain miracles can't take place like Jesus understood. Certain miracles cannot take place in certain atmospheres. So you've got to get rid of what's creating the atmosphere in order for the miracle to take place. Miracles are not automatic just because you want to turn on the key. Or just because you want to turn on the faucet this morning. If the atmosphere is not right, if it's not conducive for a miracle, it will not happen. So Jesus says, y'all, you can be dismissed from church. And Peter says, you can be dismissed from church right now. Hallelujah. Because y'all want to have a funeral service. 
But I didn't come to have a funeral service. I came to have a move of God. You came to come and sit dead on a pew, but I came to say, God can raise you up. You came to, came to look pretty, and you're, you're beautiful. You're beautiful, man. But that's not going to create a miracle. Hallelujah. You came to hear me speak or hear me preach. I came to see a move of God. You came to hear, hear me give you more revelation. I came to see a move of God. I came to see a, a revelation of God in the revelation. I came to see Jesus. Give God praise in this house. Isn't God good? You, you realize I've still got two more chapters to go? So he put them all forth. He kneeled down and prayed. Now he did not pray over the body. Because the New Testament church did not pray for their healing. The New Testament church gave them their healing. Such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus. Rise up and be made whole. He gave, they, you got to understand the power of attorney in the name of Jesus. Those disciples just said, in the name of Jesus, be healed. They didn't pray. Well, what about, well, call for the elders of the church, the prayer of faith, say the six. Yeah, we believe that. But I'm telling you that when you come for prayer, it's not like we're praying and hoping you get healed. We, we need to believe. So Peter's not over here praying over the body. He's over here praying to get himself in a place where he can be used by God. He's got to get himself out of the way. He's got to get doubt out of the way. He's got to get unbelief out of the way. He's got to... He's got to get himself ready for usefulness in the kingdom. In the kingdom. Say, in the kingdom. Wow. So he's praying. Now he lays down. Literally, I, I looked this up. He laid down, which connects me back to the Old Testament, where a man by the name of Elijah, when he walked in the, in the house of a widow woman, right? He walked in there, and as soon as he gets there, the widow woman's son dies. She believed the son died because of his righteousness. Because a man of God just came into her house exposing her sin. You with me? God's good. What does Elijah do? He goes over to the Bible and he lays on top of the child. You with me? But Jewish scholarship says this. That he not only laid on top of the child, but he put his mantle on that young man. He tied the young man's hands and feet in the mantle. He literally put the young man into the life of God. He put the young man into the presence of God. He put the young man into the tabernacle of God. Bound his hands just like Jesus did. Laying down there. And we know the story. The young man comes alive. Jesus wraps a young girl in a mantle. She comes alive. Now Peter lays down, kneels down, laying down there, 
And so he's doing what he saw Jesus doing also Elijah do with a mantle. I believe he had a mantle with him. You with me here? He puts the forth, kneels down, and he prays, and turning him to the body. Notice, he doesn't pray over the body. He prays, then he turns to the body. This is awesome. Her name is Tabitha. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar. But I believe that if Talitha Kumi in Mark 5.41 is mistranslated, damsel arise, and it should be she that's in the Talit rise. It could be that Tabitha is also linked somehow to the Talit. Now, that's just me. I don't have no scholarship to back me up. But I'm talking about Revelation. Say revelation. Because this woman is making mantles. She's making garments. Uh, Peter saw Jesus do something with a mantle. He's following the very, very pattern that Elijah did in the Old Testament. Say Talitha. Tabitha. One letter difference. That's it. Now watch this. The Bible says he looks at the body. He prays and he looks at the body. Hallelujah. There's so much spiritual connection with this. Do you know that the tabernacle or the talit can be translated as an habitation or a body, a vessel of habitation? So that I'm looking at the tabernacle of God right now. I'm looking at where God dwells. Hebrews 3 tells me that. I'm looking at the body of Christ. Now watch. When I pray, I don't want to just pray over you. I want to pray and get in a place where God can use me. And then when I come here, I can look at the body. Now watch. The Bible says, here he goes. He looks at the body and he doesn't pray for her to rise. He says, Tabitha, arise. Jesus said this. I'm trying to show you something. Jesus said this to the young girl, Talitha Kumi, you who's in the Talit, rise. Peter says, Tabitha, rise. There's got to be a connection. Now watch. Hallelujah. Y'all are so confused, you don't know if you're coming or going now, do you? Turning to the body, said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. That's some awesome stuff. I mean, it's almost as powerful as seeing some of you get the Holy Ghost. It's almost as powerful as seeing some of you get alive in God. It's almost as powerful. It's, all, it's almost as powerful as seeing this preacher get anointed. That is a miracle. Hallelujah. When you see me praise God like Aeneas, that's a miracle. I'm surrounded by conflict. When you see resurrection life operating in me, that's a miracle. What about y'all? See, I am convinced that Jesus doesn't want us to just have church as usual. 
If you want it to be like it's always been in your life forever, you are in the wrong church because Jesus is doing a new thing and it's not church as usual. It's a time of the upper chamber. It's a time of the third dimension. It's a time where the body is going to be glorified, where the body is going to experience resurrection life. It's not church as usual. It's not first, first dimension Christianity out of, out of court. It's not second dimension Christianity, the power of the Holy Ghost. It's third dimension Christianity where the throne room is. It's the upper room. It's the upper chamber type move of God. It's the third dimension. That's why you've got, you've got so many threes in these chapters. You've got three men standing there looking, wanting Peter to come. You've got a sheet coming down three times and the Word of God coming three times because it is not church as usual. It's not out of court. It's not just the power of Pentecost, but it's the third dimension. It's the throne room. It's the King of Kings and it's the Lord of Lords. And this Talit was also telling Israel that God is the King of the universe. It will not and cannot be church as usual in your life. It must be third day. It must be resurrection day. It must be third dimension. The power of God touching your body. Regenerating your spirit. Affecting your soul. And changing your body. It must be third day. That's why he did all this in the upper chamber, upper chamber. And that's why there's a resurrection taking place here. Now watch. I, I'm, there's no way I'm going to be able to preach all this today. I'll just go as long as I can. Watch this. God's going, showing me things. Aeneas, he is literally in the outer court. He's laying there with his needs. It's a need-based ministry. Come on, are you here? God, I just want you to meet my need. That's out of court Christianity. You with me here? Just sitting outside the gate there of the house. Just get, get my needs met. Need-based ministries. First dimension. Second dimension. The power of God. Now this man has moved from a need-based ministry. He's now experiencing the second dimension, the power of God. His praise has come alive under God. He's standing in the power of God. But the reason why the Lord showed me, He said, the reason why I take you further in progression to a resurrection is because I'm trying to show my body, the church, what I want to do now. And that's bring them into not just a outer court need-based type ministry and just let them experience goosebumps and power. He said, I want to move them into the third dimension where there's resurrection and their bodies are affected. Where they recognize that I'm the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Glory to God. It's, it can't be church as usual anymore. We as Pentecostals, whoo, we get excited about the Holy Ghost. Like that's everything. That's not everything. 
It's the earnest of our inheritance. It's the beginning of it. I've got to have the anointing to get in the third dimension. Thank God for Jesus' name, baptism, and the Holy Ghost. But that's not all the message. There's another room in the house. It's the upper chamber. Kingdom, dominion, authority in God. Harvest time. Resurrection time. Third day time. Look at this. Even in time right now, the church has moved into physical time into the third day. It's 2003 if our calendar's right. If it's not right and it should be backed up before 2000, we're fixing to move into the third day in time. So that now what's happened in the spirit is converging with time. It's the seventh day from Adam. It's the third day from Christ. God's trying to show you in these passages third day tight movement that we as a church cannot stay in this out of court need based type ministry and thank God for the power of God but we need to move into that high chamber the high things of God in the third dimension kingdom top listen to me people get raised from the dead in the third dimension people get raised from the dead in the most holy place We need more than just anointing. We need government. We need more than just anointing. We need order. Joel 2 says God will pour out his spirit. We've got that. But Isaiah 2 says, talks about going up into the mountain of the Lord. So you've got government and glory that's needed in the church today. When you have government and glory together, then that's when you ascend into the mountain of God. And he calls us to ascend up into the holy mountain of God. So when you talk about high chambers, you're talking about high movements of God. You're talking about the most high God. Are you here? Come on. Watch this. Watch your life. Watch your life. Watch it. I go through this, this cycle of need-based, power needy, and glory. Because where's glory? Glory's in the throne room. It's in the high chamber. That's where you find glory. My whole purpose today is to somehow get you to understand that God can take care of your needs in the outer court. And also to get you up in the spirit to where you can praise God in the midst of your conflict. But to get you beyond need-based, beyond your conflict, and into the power of God for what? Glory. Because you find glory in the throne room. We go from glory to glory. Now, if you're still sitting there, after I said all of that, you're still sitting there worried about your needs getting met. And the power of God hasn't hit you yet. Then you need to move progressively 
Just say, thank you, Jesus. You're going to take care of my needs. First, seek ye the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Seek the third, the kingdom. And all these things shall be added to you. So you're sitting there today in a need-based situation or in the midst of conflict and strife. And you haven't gone beyond that. My purpose today is to stand up before you and tell you that you, your reason for being here is to know that God can take care of your needs. But to be kingdom-minded. Seek the kingdom. Seek the third dimension. Seek the throne. And then all these other things will be added to you. Your needs will be taken care of you. You will be anointed. It will take care of your strife. It will allow you to praise God once again. He's able to restore your joy. Restore to me the joy of the Lord. Cause me to leap again and dance again and shout again and sing again. Cause me to rejoice. He's able to do that. But once he's done that, your whole desire is get to glory. Get to glory. Get to the kingdom. Not just the church. The church flows out of the kingdom. Not the kingdom out of the church. The church is in the second dimension in Revelation. He's standing in the golden candlestick. The church is in the second dimension. John made it to the most holy place. He had to turn around and see Jesus standing in the church. There's something beyond just churchianity. That's what I'm telling you. That church as usual, it cannot be any longer. We're moving into a different time now. It's a kingdom thing we should be operating in. Whenever you come in here and you're sick, what does your body do tell you? Don't praise. When you've been in conflict and strife, what does your mind tell you? Second dimension. What is, what is it telling you? What's your soul telling you? What's it telling you? You've been in conflict, so you can't move an anointing. You can't preach. You've got to know that God can take care of my needs. But you know what? Right now, if I've got a need, I'm going forward. I'm not letting my needs stop me. If I'm in the midst of strife and, and I've lost my joy and I've lost my praise and I can't find the anointing, I can't find the mantle, the anointing there, I know one thing. I'm not going to let my sickness stop me. My needs stop me. I'm not going to let my conflict stop me. I've got to get into that upper chamber. I've got to get into the glory of God. I've got to manifest the kingdom of God in this earth. I've got to press beyond the veil. Which means you've got to press. You've got to push. Can't just sit there and expect it to happen. You've got to push your way in there. That's why Jesus said, go on. I can't go any further till I get you out of here. Peter said, get out of here. I got to move in an upper chamber type move of God. I've got to move in a kingdom type move of God. The Bible said when the kingdom of God is established, then shall the layman leap as a heart. That's a kingdom prophecy. These miracles are fulfillments of prophecy 
showing you how to get in to the glory of God. Come back tonight. I've got a message from God for you. Do you understand what I'm trying to show you? See, when I first stood up here in the spirit, I was already in the spirit. I was at the throne in the spirit. But you see, I've got to get my soul where my spirit is. I've got to get my body where my soul and my spirit are. That's the important thing. When I first stood up here, my soul was in a thousand directions. My body in the midst of conflict. But you know what? Something has changed. Because as we begin to move by faith, by faith in God, taking our eyes off of that which would distract us concerning our God. Look at that talit. Get your mind on God. Get your eyes on Jesus. Anything that would distract you from understanding that He's royal, that He is the King, the Lord of heaven and earth. Anything. Get your mind on Him. And as you do, the anointing is going to come. But I'm not just after anointing. I know when I move from the outer court to anointing. I know that when it happens. I know it. I can sense it in my spirit. There's a different type of word that comes forth. It's heavier. It's weightier. It's no longer just word. But it's got power behind it. It's heavy. Heavy. With the power of God. And you've got to keep pushing. And you've got to keep pressing. Going through those gates, those things that are trying to hinder you. to get So you get your eyes on Jesus. Give God praise. Now what I want, oh God, I feel the Holy Ghost. What I want you to know is that the mantle of Elijah, Elisha got it. It fell on Elisha. The Holy Ghost fell on them in Jerusalem in Acts 2. And then in Acts 10, it fell on them. So the mantle came on the Jew and the mantle came on the Gentile. My point is this, is that the mantle of Elijah, when Elisha got the mantle, he now carried it, the talit, the mantle. When Elisha died, they didn't know what to do with the mantle. And nobody felt qualified to take it up. So they went before God and asked God, God, what do we do with this mantle? And God said, by Urim and Thummim. He said, take the mantle and put it by the holy altar of prayer there in the second dimension. He said, literally put it inside of the golden altar by the golden candlestick and wait until that person comes to whom it belongs. And so here comes John the Baptist and he went forth with a leather girdle <laughs> he had a leather garment and a girdle he had the mantle guess what and Zacharias was there by that altar and when, Eli when John was born the spirit of Elijah was on John and Zacharias his daddy was ministering at that very altar they got those garments of Elijah and they gave it to John as a fulfillment of it Give God praise.
And so what I'm telling you, the mantle was located. We're at in the second dimension. But it's to take you into authority. Into the John said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. It's within reach. But now I'm telling you, it's no longer at hand. It's no longer within reach. It is here. So the mantle is not just anointing. The mantle is authority. It's moving in the kingdom of God. That's why he had to put on the mantle. So he could preach the kingdom of God is at hand. Give God praise. Peter walks out and said, here she is. She's alive. Resurrection. Third day. Here she is. I made it to the throne room. Here she is. I covered it in the mantle and said, Tabitha, arise. Or Talita, kumi, rise. <laughs> she rose up. A fulfillment of the type of the third day comes up before them. That's what God wants to do to a body called the church this hour. He wants us to get beyond need-based and really just and beyond just anointing. He wants us to move in the kingdom. That is the purpose of the talit. That is the passion of the mantle. Are y'all all right? In closing, I'm just going to, I have to do this. Acts 10, we see a man who's a Gentile. He fears God. He prays always. He gives alms to the people. He's a God-fearer. He's a Gentile. He hasn't converted to Judaism, hasn't circumcised himself, but he believes in the oneness of God. And he prays and he gives alms, but he's not saved. He's been looking for God all his life. He knows a little bit about the Old Testament because he's a God-fearer and he goes to the synagogues and sits at the back of the church. I said he sits at the back of the church. But God wants to bring him into the front. He doesn't just want us to fear God. He wants us to move. In. See, he doesn't know. He doesn't know how to get beyond where he is. He doesn't have to move further than where he sits. So he's praying and he's fasting. And an angel appears to him. An angel knows the address of Peter. An angel. See, you're known in heaven. I'm known in heaven. But the devil doesn't want you to know that you're known in heaven. Peter was known in heaven. This man named Cornelius was known in heaven. His prayers are built up like a mountain. High before God's throne. And there it is before God continually. So an angel appears to that man. And he says, I can't tell you how to get further in God than where you are right now. Because I don't even understand it. Because all I know is the judgment of God. I don't know nothing about mercy. I don't know nothing about grace. In fact, it blows my mind when somebody gets mercy. In fact, it blows my mind that God would even use Peter. Because Peter denied him three times. Can't comprehend how God could use a man like that. 
I can't tell you how to get further in God because I don't understand the mercy of God. I only know the lying nature of God. I don't know the lamb nature of God. I can't understand it. But there's a man by the name of Peter. He understands mercy. He understands the depth of the Spirit. He understands the new age that we're moving in. He understands all these things about God that I can't comprehend. Send for Peter. He's got the keys of the what? Kingdom! Not just the keys to the kingdom, letting you in, but the keys of the kingdom, opening doors of understanding concerning the kingdom of God. Matthew 16, he's got the keys of the kingdom. So you're going to have to send for Peter if you want to operate in the kingdom of God because he's got understanding. So they sent for Peter. Hallelujah. Angel said, he's over there. I know where he lives. He's over there with Simon the Tanner. I wonder what the Tanner was doing. Wonder if he was beating out leather talits. Peter's over there with him. Maybe not. I don't know. My point is this, watch. He's over there with Simon the Tanner by the seaside. Oh, okay. So three men, three men, brother, are sent by God through an angel, through a messenger, to go and get Peter. So that he can tell us the words of this life. Say life. Life is not just getting saved. Life is a dimension. Life is a dimension. He's going to get saved, but that's not all he's going to do. Now watch this. These three men are standing out there and Peter's been praying and he's just had a vision from God. Say a vision from God. This vision is a vision of the word that King James used is a vessel. Now God gave me a revelation. He, said, he showed me, he said the sheet that came down was a talit. That's what God told me. He said it was the mantle that came down. Because it's called a vessel and it's called a sheet. And it's got four corners to it. Mm. And so, you know, when God gave me that revelation, I quickly ran over and I looked up the word vessel. And it's very close to the word tabernacle. In fact, when you read the word vessel, the next, the next Strong's Concordance number is the tabernacle. So God is letting down a sheet. He's letting down the tabernacle. He's letting down the talit. And what he's doing that for is so that Jews and Gentiles can be seen coming into the kingdom of God. But it has to come down not once, not twice, but three times. Not once, not twice, but three times the lady. God's got to have a sense of humor to give you that one. Three men at the door. The, the talit, this corner, this sheet coming down. And also, that's a picture of a bridal sheet coming down. It's the linen garments of a, of a bride. God. 
comes down. Once, twice, three times. And the Word of God, remember that talit is connected with the Word of God, the commandment of God? The Word of God comes with the talit. It comes with the message. It comes with the mantle. It's linked, you see? And so when it comes down, Peter sees it three times. And he sees these four-footed beasts, fowls of the air, beasts of the field. He lists four things. What I want you to see is this, is that what he was shown by God, he being a Jew, a prejudiced Jew, cannot see how God can bring Gentiles in. He's still prejudiced as he can be. Somebody get 10 and 11 for me. Read 10 and 11 for me quickly. Acts 10 and 11 so I, I know exactly what's going on. 10 and 11. Go ahead, just start reading. Saw heaven opened and a certain vessel, say vessel, go ahead, as it had been a great sheet, knit, knit at the four corners. God. Thank you, Jesus. Go ahead. And let down to the earth. What's in the heaven? What's in the earth? He rose heaven and earth. The God of creation. Let down to the earth. Now what's in it? What's in it? All manner of four-footed beast. What wild beast and creeping things. And fowls of the air. That's interesting. Because the first one I believe represents Israel. They were clean. They were kosher. Hello. You with me? Well, depending on what kind of four-footed beast it was. There's some clean and unclean four-footed beasts. Go on. But he talks about creeping things. And he talks about fowls of the air. And what else he say? Wild beast? Oh, wild beast. That was you and me. And if you weren't a wild beast, you're probably a fowl of the air. And that's connected to demons. And if you weren't that, then you were a creeping man. You were a creepy man. But in this sheet, knit at the four corners like a vessel being let down from heaven, you find these animals and fowls inside of it. They have literally been taken into the presence of God. They have become the habitation of God through the Spirit. Listen, God inhabits them and they inhabit God. And then the Bible said that what God does, He brings it down to the earth to do what? To bring them back up into the heavens. To take you from just an earth realm into the throne dimension of God. Both Jews and Gentiles. Jesus is, in the, is the way into the holiest of holies. He wants to get us from the earth realm to the heavenly. So take you up in dimensions, levels, layers. Now, if you go back to where this took place, this miracle took place, this, this lame man, the word Sharon means a level. 
So God's trying to show you levels here. <laughs> Study it for yourself. He's trying to show you levels here. He said, I got to get you from here up there. I got to get the Jew from there. See, they've been, the Jew for the most part is so focused for earthly things because they have earthly covenants. But God's trying to show them. It's not just about the earthly realm. He said, I want you to move in the spirit. But see, Peter has a problem. You know, he, he don't really see how Gentiles going, you know. <laughs> Us Jews, yeah. See, we got the Talit. <laughs> That's good, amen. But, you know, hallelujah. But God has a plan for the, for the wild beast and, and the creeps and the foul-smelling people. No, not really. <laughs> He's got a plan. Aren't you glad? That's where I got my chance. This is where I got my chance. To move in what? To move in the mantle of God. To move in the spirit and the authority of God that causes me to rise up in dimensions, in levels from the earth up. Now Peter's saying, now, now come on. I can't believe that that man that was set on the back pew well, no, nothing wrong with sitting on the back of you. Don't be offended at me. <laughs> I'm talking spiritual here. See, some of y'all are afraid to sit up front because you're, you're, you're afraid to get blown apart. <laughs> I'm talking spiritual here. How can that man who sits in the back pew spiritually get up into the glory? Hello? This is good for preachers. We preach to people out there, some of them in, the, in spiritually in the back pew in the outer court. How in the world are we ever going to get them up in here in this glory stuff? Because they're need-based. They're full of sh it means I can kill them. <laughs> and I can eat them up. Really, I'm not too far off there because God uses His prophets. To slay the sacrifice now. And, 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 and you're dying. And you're dying. That enables you to move beyond the veil of your flesh. Stop looking at your clock. God's good, isn't he? Well, so I can hear somebody say, that, that wasn't God. That was rude, Pastor. Well, you know what? When you, if there is an Elijah mantle on me right now. I remember a time when Elijah said, you need to go, go check on your God to see if he's on the potty. So get rid of your religious Pharisee thinking about trying to fit me in your mold. Because I'm not going to sit in your mold. Won't you just go see if your God's sitting on the toilet? That's rude, Pastor. I'm not gonna, I will not fit in your mold, honey. See, I could, I could hear that spirit scream out to me. That was rude. <laughs> you ain't seen nothing yet, honey. <laughs> rise. Arise, Peter. Get up. Move up in your thinking. Move up in your understanding. Move up in your revelation. You think you got it all figured out, but you really don't, Peter.
Well, see, here's the thing about it. There, was, there were unclean and clean animals that you could eat. And I want to tell you something. Jesus did not, when he come, he did not make the pig clean. He didn't change the nature of the pig. Now, does that mean I'm preaching that you can't eat pork? If you do, you can't have a relationship with God? No, I'm not preaching that. But I am telling you there is wisdom in the dietary laws of the Old Testament. That if you, some of you stop eating those pigs, you know what? The medical field has pig flesh in reserve. If they need a disease or sickness, they have pig flesh in reserve. Because every known disease known to man is found in pig flesh. And if they need a disease to do something with, they'll just go get pig flesh and go get some disease off that pig flesh. So y'all just keep on eating your pork ribs. <laughs> your pork chops and bacon. And when you, that two, that two hours later, you feel like a, oh, you feel so sick. Why do I feel so bad? You just ate pork chops. It didn't affect your relationship with God, but it sure did affect your body. So that's wisdom. God did not make the pig clean. He didn't change his nature. The point is, though, come on. What he did do is this, that, he, he, come on, it doesn't affect your relationship with God to touch the unclean. Peter, you can go into that unclean Gentile you think's a dog and touch him and no longer be unclean. Because I have the ability to change the nature of a man. So don't call unclean that which I have called common because I have the ability to let unclean things touch me but because I'm higher than the unclean it does not defile me talit language okay ready watch so first of all Three times the sheet comes down. Three times the word comes to him concerning going to the Gentiles. Let's just bring it all around. Tied up here. First time Peter couldn't see it. Second time Peter wouldn't see it. Because he said, not so Lord. You can't put those two together. You can't say not so in Lord. But Peter did. He said, not so, Lord. Tell it God what to do. You can't move. You, you got church people like that. We can't go beyond one. Oh. Hallelujah. Well, if you can't, just get up. Quietly dismiss yourself. But we're going on. Hallelujah. So if he couldn't see it at first. Let down. Brought back up. Second time, he wouldn't see it, not so, Lord. And the third time, now I see clearly. Now I see clearly. And I'll do exactly what you tell me. And so he, he makes very quick, very quickly, he goes with those three men. Say three men. He goes over to Cornelius' house. Cornelius says this. He said, we are here gathered right now to hear what God will say to us. Give us the word of God. Whatsoever is commanded thee of God. Commanded thee of God. The word is connected. Watch. Boy, that's an awesome church, isn't it? 
that comes in here and says, I don't care what time it is. I don't care how long it takes you. We are simply here to find out whatsoever is commanded thee of God. Because, Peter, we know that what you're about to say is not you. It's not about what you think. Because God had to, God, listen, listen. God had to deal with your thinking. So what you deliver to us right now is not about what you think. It's about what God says. And so we receive what you're saying, not as the words of men, but as the word of God, as it is in a truth. I tell you what, our church would completely change if people understood that. Now, sometimes it is the words of men. But when it's the word of God, whoo. And I tell you this right here, you might do well to do this when you come in here and say, you know what? There's going to be a little mixture in there. There's going to be a little bit of Jerry Carter. <laughs> but there's going to be some God in it too. And so I'm not going to sit here and try it. Well, it's Jerry Carter. I'm God speak to me. <laughs> and just, 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 just throw out Jerry Carter's theology and keep what God says. But I'm not trying to bring you my theology. But here they are, the congregation. Ready to hear. Ready to do. Ready to obey. Ready here. Okay. He went there to speak to him all the words of this life. Watch this. What does he preach when he gets there? Verse 34, then Peter opened his mouth. And said of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Now that doesn't mean he's, he's saved. This man was doing works of righteousness, but he was lost. You have to hear me. Well, are y'all willing to, to hang around a little longer? Because I'm anointed right now. If I shut it off right now, I'll never be able to preach it again like I'm preaching it right now. It's, it don't work that way. It doesn't work that way. He opens his mouth with me because mouth, the mouth is connected to the spirit. The mouth is a manifestation of the spirit. Thoughts and ideas are a manifestation of your mind. So when the word goes forth, the word is a manifestation of the spirit of God, his will, his purpose. So they're sitting there waiting to hear the will of God, the purpose of God. And so what does he do? He opens his mouth. You don't know what's in a person until they open their mouth. You look at him and say, man, I don't, what? Now watch this. What does he say to them? The word which God sent unto the children of Israel. Okay, look at this. The word sent to who? The children of Israel. This message is not just the message for the Gentiles. This message is a message for Israel. He said that. There's books out today that's, that they're, they're, they're trying to redefine Paul into saying that the message he preached of Jesus Christ was only to the Gentiles. Has Jesus, the Christ, Jesus has nothing to do with the salvation of Israel. 
I just read it to you, honey. You got to get in your Bible. Watch. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. What? He is Lord of all, parentheses. He is God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. You can't divide him into a trinity of persons. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Well, what about the manifest? Well, Jesus Christ is Lord. Dual nature, man and God at the same time, but not two separate gods or two persons. That's not Bible. Jesus is God in the spirit and son in the flesh. He's a manifestation of God. So what does he do? He stands up there and preaches that message was to Israel, but I'm going to preach it to you. There's one God, listen, which the God-fearer knew. He had forsaken all of his pagan idolatrous worship, sitting in the synagogue, to worship the one God of the Bible. What he didn't know was that Jesus was he. So he's preaching to a Gentile that Jesus is the Lord. Give God praise. And the Bible said there's only one Lord, one faith, one baptism. So he preaches Jesus is the Lord. Even the way they looped this thing declared that there was one Lord. Here. Now he goes on, he says this. Verse 37, that word I say, you know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism, which John preached. Jesus is the living word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. John 1 and 1. The same was in the beginning with God. John 1 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us. And we beheld His glory as of the glory of the only begotten Son of God full of grace and truth. The law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. See the link here, the tabernacle? He is the living word. He is, a tabern he is the tabernacle of God in flesh. He is what this mini tabernacle was preaching. Now watch. Verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. Who went about doing good and healing. Who did? Not the symbol. He did the healing. <sighs> spiritual. Comparing spiritual with spiritual. Why do we take the word of God. And try to. <laughs> instead of coming to a spiritual understanding of it. Always trying to find the physical. When he gave us the physical. To teach us the spiritual. Watch. And we are witnesses. Whoops. How God knows you and the Holy Ghost and with power. Who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him.
And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. He is literally preaching the finished work of Jesus. You got it? The death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. Him God raised up the third day and showed Him openly. Not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us, who did eat and drink with Him after He rose from the dead. That's emblems of the finished work, the bread and the wine. Well, y'all are getting tired. Y'all, and I'm serious, y'all are getting tired, so i got to bring this to a conclusion. I can preach all day. I really can. I can preach a Melchizedek priesthood right out of that. I can preach the standing up of Aeneas standing up there and also Tabitha standing up there is the woman, the church, moving into a man-child type movement of God. But I don't... I'm just telling you, I know though, you're getting weary. But God is doing awesome things in this chapter. But we have to have a revelation of the Spirit when we look at it. And see, beyond just the story of a man getting healed and a woman getting raised from the dead, there's reasons why the number three is, is, is interwoven throughout this. There's a reason why this sheet comes down knit in the four corners. There's a reason for all that. Revelation of the Spirit opens it up to you and shows you where God is taking a church. It's in kingdom operation. It's moving from just a woman-type movement to a man-child type manifestation. Is this helping anybody? That's why you got two here. You got a man and a woman involved in these miracles. Now you got a Gentile. But anyway, let's go on. He's preaching the finished work here. He said, we did eat and drink with him after, the, after he rose from the dead. It is finished. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. To him give all the prophets. Mantles of prophets. Witness that through his name. <laughs> these loops are tied in such a way that the name of God is there. That through his name, say his name, not his titles. We don't baptize in the titles Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. It's through his name. Through his name. What's his name? Jesus. That through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. So what was preached in Acts 2 is now preached to the Gentiles. They got remission of sins by water baptism in His name. Now the Gentiles are going to get water baptized in the name of Jesus. What for? The remission of sins. Not to put you in a denomination. Through His name. All the prophets. All their mantles. <laughs> to Him give all the prophets witness that through His name. Whosoever believed in him should receive remission. Says, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost is the tally, the blue one in there. No, okay, I don't want to lose that again. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them, 
brought them into the kingdom. That's why when Elijah was taken up, Elijah said, the chariot of the Lord and the horsemen thereof. And all of a sudden, the mantle of Elijah started floating down. That's what happened in Israel to the Jews and what happened to the Gentiles. Here, the mantle is coming down and taking them in. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished. Astonished. As many as came with Peter because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. How did they know that? Had a good feeling? Had the fruit of the Spirit? No. How did they know they got the initial infilling of the Holy Ghost? For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. The evidence I got the Holy Ghost is when I spoke in tongues. Very simple. Now, when they got the Holy Ghost in Acts 10, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them. He or, literally, I, I did a study on this word. He ordered them. It's a military term. He's speaking to a military soldier, so he uses a military term. He orders them to be baptized in Jesus' name. So in Acts 8, the unit got saved. We've got a politician. In Acts 9, we got a theologian saved named Paul. And now we got a soldier saved in Acts 10. Politician, theologians. Theologians need saved too, man. <laughs> they need it probably more than anybody. <clears throat> and now we got a soldier saved. And so Peter uses military terms. He commands them. He orders them to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. It's not if you want to. It's not take it or leave it. It's an order. It's a New Testament order from an apostle. For a, if you're a Gentile, you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. It's an order for you to be baptized in Jesus' name. He commanded them to be baptized. Who? In the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. Now stay here, Peter. This is good, you know. Okay, here we go. Now here, watch this. And I'm coming to a close. Y'all, 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 can y'all sense it in the spirit? The plane starting to taxi, getting ready for landing. You never know. That's right, sister. All of a sudden, when it's about ready to land, all of a sudden, you're about, whoo, He <laughs> might want to just fly over to Taiwan again. Woo, I like you. I love a church like that. Say, tear here a little longer. Keep on preaching to us. You with me here? Now what I want to show you is this. Is that it, it was normal in the early church. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. So that when they got the Holy Ghost here, they immediately said, we command you to be baptized in Jesus' name. In Acts 8, they got baptized in Jesus' name and then got the Holy Ghost. The point is, just repenting doesn't save you. And just getting baptized in water doesn't save you. We don't believe in baptismal regeneration. We believe it takes both the water and the Spirit. So in the early church, it, was no, it blew their mind in Acts chapter 8 that the Samaritans... 
was baptized and then got the Holy Ghost. And then Acts 10, now the Gentiles get the Holy Ghost and then immediately get baptized. You know why? Because in the early church, it was normal to be spirit-filled and water-baptized, one baptism, immediately. It would have been abnormal for you to get the Holy Ghost and then six months later get baptized or get baptized in Jesus' name and then six months later finally pray through. That's abnormal. That's abnormal. In fact, I will tell you this. That if you were water baptized in Jesus' name and got the Holy Ghost in that early church, they wouldn't even... Listen, if you were water baptized in Jesus' name and didn't get the Holy Ghost immediately, they would not have called you a Christian. Mm -mm. That is not normal. You search the Scripture in the book of Acts, and without exception, everybody that's born into the kingdom... Just born, not moving in all of its operations, just born. Have been water baptized in Jesus' name and immediately got the Holy Ghost. Or got the Holy Ghost and immediately was water baptized in Jesus' name. There's no such animal. We're in Acts 10. There is no such animal who just repented and got in the kingdom. There's no such animal. Is anybody ever coming and standing in the front of the church and say, I accept Jesus as my personal Savior. And then that church leadership say, you're in the kingdom. No such animal. Search the scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life. They are they which testify of me. You think that by just studying the scripture, you have eternal life. You think that the scripture saves you. But they are they which testify of me. Are you getting the point? I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to drive this home. They would not even recognize you as a part of the people of the way if you had not experienced this experience. Because watch. How do you expect to move progressively in God? Listen. You have to first go to the altar, even in the tabernacle. The altar, the cross, Calvary, Passover. Before you can ever get into the power of Pentecost, the second dimension, get the Holy Ghost. And you have to have the Holy Ghost to get you into the third dimension of the throne. You don't just jump up in the throne room. There is a progression in God is what I'm trying to show you. So before you can ever move in kingdom operation, you have to be born into it. And the only way to be born into it, according to Jesus, looking to a theologian, you must be born again of the water and the Spirit. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. So now you know what I believe. Well, what about all these people? The power of God's moving. People getting healed. Just read Acts 8. Devils getting cast out. Glory of power of God was there. People getting healed. But the people getting healed and getting the devils cast out of them are not even saved. You could have a move of God. And nobody in that place saved. You can have a move of God. Miracles, devils cast out. Nobody saved. Hello, somebody. Does this help, y'all? Well, it got the, uh, uh, the church, that apostolic church, a little bit concerned about why Peter would baptize Gentiles in Acts chapter 11. And I'm, 
you know, we're going to go on here a little bit for just a little bit. But then I want to show you something real close, connected to this baptism and stuff. Verse 17 of Acts 11. For as much then as God gave them the like gift. 11, 17. Don't shut me out. You shut me out. I'll keep you all day long, honey. You shut me out. I'll just turn to Acts 11, verse 1, and I'll preach it to you. You don't shut me out. You don't shut the Word of God out, man. I, I guarantee you, I'll keep you sitting here all day long. Go, well, I can't handle that, Pastor. Well, go find yourself another church. I'm bold when I'm anointed. I'm sweet when I'm, you know. No, I love y'all. Most of y'all say, y'all be just like these people sitting before Peter. Tarry some more. For us, but see, the problem is in America, we're not used to this. We used to 30-minute 30, 30 sermonettes for... <coughs> sermonettes for demonettes. We are. We, we, we love sermonettes for demonettes. A demon in training. You go to Taiwan. I went to Taiwan. They about killed me. And I'm a young man. I'm virile. Is that the word virile? <laughs> I'm virile. They about killed me, man. I wasn't used to the time change. I was jet lagged. They have six-hour services before you start preaching. <laughs> it's 12 o'clock at night. I wonder when I get to preach. And they started at six. Hello. Well, maybe y'all don't have the problem. Maybe it's just me, okay? Verse 17, for as much then as God gave them the like gift, say Doria, the like Doria gift. When it talks about, well, do all speak with tongues? Do all prophesy? The word that talks about gifts there, gift of tongues. With me? We, we say gifts of tongues. The gifts of the Spirit is not Doria. It's charismata, charismata. It means grace gifts. It's, uh, it's used by, it's operating in people who have been filled with the Spirit. But the word gift here is not charismata. It's not, it's not the same tongue talking. It's of the same essence, Jesus, but it's the, not the same operation. They got the like Doria. Doria, gift. When they got the Holy Ghost, they got it the same way. The Jews got it. So you can't use that scripture that says, Do all speak with tongues? Do all prophesy? And say by that that some don't. It's not even the same Greek word. They got the same doria, same gifts. And they got it the same way. Okay. Look at, watch this. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us. Same Doriam. Who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. What was I that I could withstand God? He's literally telling, watch this. Some of you don't believe that God puts pressure in, on anybody. Peter says this. He's talking to the church in Jerusalem. He's explaining what happened there. Why he baptized these Gentiles in Jesus' name. He said, man, they got the Holy Ghost. <clears throat> Who is I to withstand God? He's literally, the word they're talking about, withstand, literally saying that God put pressure on me. 
God put pressure on Peter to baptize them, and he put pressure on them to be baptized. He commanded them to be baptized. There's pressure involved. Peter was un under the pressure of the Holy Ghost. Y'all need a banana? <laughs> I'm dead. Bring it with you. I don't care. What was I that I, should, I could withstand God? That's why sometimes I feel when I'm preaching, I feel compelled by the Spirit. I feel pressured by the Spirit. So guess what? Who am I to withstand God? And there's going, God's going to put pressure on you. He's going to put pressure on me. He put pressure on Peter and he put pressure on the Gentiles. And they got the same Doria. When they heard these things, they're talking about this church in Jerusalem. When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. Now notice the connection. Their baptism in Jesus' name and their infilling of the Holy Ghost, they connect repentance unto life with that event. So for you to say that repentance is the first and final step, you are not biblical. Because they recognized that repentance unto life included baptism and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. That's the way they saw it. What message is being preached from the pulpits of America and all over the world that line up with the Word of God? That's the way they saw it. <clears throat> and then it talks about the dispersion that were scattered abroad during the time of Paul's persecution. And some of them were over there and uh, they, they find Greeks there. It's in Antioch of Syria. It's dirty Antioch. Dirty Antioch. Man, they got idolatry and paganism all over the place. And so we got a couple of guys over there in Antioch of Syria. And they say, they just get so full of God. They say, we got to tell somebody about Jesus. We got to preach to them, you know. And all of a sudden, Antioch breaks out in a huge revival. All kinds of Gentiles. Remember the Gentiles said, we, the Greeks said, we would see Jesus. And then Jesus said, he just goes off and he said, oh, you want to see me? Unless you fall to the ground and die. Unless the corner of wheat fall to the ground and die, it abides alone. That means I have to die for you to see me. In order for you to see me, you've got to die. He just goes off. Jesus is like that. He just goes off. Oh, they want to see me? They want to pay me a visit? They got to die. I got to die and they got to die. Jesus just goes off. <laughs> How would you like to be hanging around Jesus? He just, yeah. There's some people like to see you. Just, unless you die, you can't see me. Unless I die, you can't see me. But Jesus, they just want to visit you, man. Come on. Come on. Just goes off. <laughs> but now... Antioch is the third, third, third largest city in the world. Third largest city in the world. Antioch in Syria. 200,000 people are there. Multitudes, thousands are going to come to the kingdom of God. And guess what? At that point, right there, watch. Phone's ringing. That means I'm, somebody get it. <laughs> yeah, Mildred's in a house somewhere, I think, you know. Acts 11, though, I want you to see something. Read Acts 11 when you've got time, because I don't have time to read all the verses preached to you. Read it, though. 
even after the Gentiles come into the kingdom, notice what it says, that when they go out and preach, they preach to the Jewish people, not just to the Gentiles. They're still preaching the same message to Israel that they are going to preach to the Gentiles. Same. There's not one way for Gentiles and one way for Jews. Read it. It's in there. I promise you it's there. And so now in Dirty Antioch, Dirty Antioch is fixing it. They called it Dirty Antioch because it was very immoral. There was Venus there and everything else. But the point is that this is going to become the headquarters of the New Testament church. And they're first called Christians in Antioch. Derogatory at first. You with me? Called by, not the church calling each other Christians, but by, gen, by pagans calling them. These are, gen, these are Christians. The point is, Antioch is fixing to be a powerful center for God's church, and it's in the middle of paganism. You, you hearing me? So that, in closing, in closing, you got all kinds of prophets rising up. And at the same time, remember I started about with Paul? I started out with Paul, how he put it on the shelf. That prophecy that was on him, he put it on the shelf. After 14 years, we finally find Paul in Acts chapter 11. Barnabas goes, last few verses, sisters, see if you can find that. Barnabas goes and gets Paul. Does anybody have it? Don't have to be her, anybody. Where it talks about Barnabas went and got Paul. I know you're mad at me for keeping you so long, but still, give me the word. 25, read it, please. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus to seek Saul. He brought him to Antioch. Keep going. Amen. Is that all of it? In these days came prophets, go ahead, from Jerusalem unto Antioch. Agabus. And he preaches a drought, right? You with me here? My point is this. There's a powerful move of God taking place in Antioch. Pagans are coming in. They're sick and tired of Greek philosophy. They're sick and tired of pagan idolatry. They're tired of death and religion. And so now God is moving. His Spirit has mantled these men for a particular mission. If you, listen, you can't fulfill the mission of a man without the mantle of the man. And so now Barnabas has to go. We got to go get Paul now. Because he's called specifically for this mission. He's been mantled by God to do it. We got certain prophets coming from Jerusalem who are mantled to go to Antioch with a mission. It's all there. Let's stand. Father God, I praise you right now for your glory, your honor, and your praise. You're an awesome God. You're a great king. You're worthy of that glory, worthy of that honor, worthy of that worship, worthy of our praise.
Thank you for God's your people today who are hungry for the Word of God. Hungry to know you, Jesus. God send a revival to Odessa, Texas. Like Antioch, send a revival to Midland, Texas. Like you did in Antioch. And hallelujah, God, I praise you right now. I believe, Lord. I believe. I believe. I believe. Lord, there's a church sitting in front of me. A people who've been raised up by God to fulfill a mission of God. Lord, you have placed a mantle on this church of authority and power to reach Odessa and beyond. Help us move God beyond the outer courts, beyond the holy place, into the most holy place, beyond my need, beyond my strife. Operating in the kingdom. That's what I'm after. In Jesus' name. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Is that right? Is it 1221? 1221? I thought it was 221. Wait, some of y'all were acting. I thought it was 2:21. Some of y'all was looking at your clock around 11.45. You're throwing me off. I'm going to just ask God to make me deaf, dumb, and blind. 12.21. Hallelujah. Well, I won't keep you. <laughs> we'll see you tonight. Come back. We'll have a, have a move from God. And, and I've got a word from God for you, okay? In Jesus' name. And Brother Bunch wants us to pray over this. So let's, let's pray this. And Brother Bunch also. Brother, get the uh, oil please. And we're going to pray over him. He's uh, sick in his body. I'm going to ask God to touch him and heal him. First and foremost, how do you want us to pray over this? Present it. We ask, oh God, those that are involved with it and concerned with this paperwork. That God, they would see the truth, God. They would see it, recognize it, and accept it, Jesus. If it indeed is true, oh God, then they shall, God. And we just praise you right now and trust you now to bring it to pass. And everybody said in Jesus' name, to the glory of God. I give him praise, brother. Glory to Jesus. Let's believe God's going to heal him. Lord Jesus, now, God, I just praise you. Lord, I, in the name of Jesus, speak to this body. In the name of Jesus, that it be made whole. That this sickness be driven from it. In the power and the glory and in the name of Jesus. I believe now, God. I praise you for it. Give the Lord a praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise Him. Praise Him. Hallelujah. Praise Him. Woo, praise Him. He's in this house. He's worthy of our praise. Hallelujah, God. I will yet praise you. I will worship you. Glory to God. In Jesus' name. Remember this. 5 o'clock Bible class. 5.30 prayer. 6 o'clock church. 
5 o'clock Bible class, 5.30 prayer, 6 o'clock church. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. Be sure and greet our guests that are here this morning. And uh, we thank God for them being here. Amen. Woo, glory.